spark is the last two storylines of Parn's adventures, and then Spark has his own six-part novel series after that. Spark had more adventures than Parn, if you can believe that. That saddens my heart. That does sound sad. You guys hadn't heard about the 100-year-later novel that the original creator made three years ago, right? Cool. For the 30th anniversary, a new character meeting Deedla in 100 years. I'm assuming Parn is now deceased. But I'm wondering, like, oh, do they have a kid together? Is that, and they're not. Probably not. They had enough problems expressing their emotions to each other most of the time. So, <laughs> Human? That would, that would be... Or a halfling, I should say. A half-elf. <laughs> but that'd be interesting to see, like, if they could fan-translate that, you could actually see how the world changed after all those adventures. Apparently, for a while, they thought more of the books were going to come over here and get translated, but nope, just the first one. Ever. All right, so... Welcome to another episode of our podcast. This is Sean. Charlie. And Thomas. And together we are... Sparkcast. Now, you guys have listened to audio adventures on our channel before. This is another of the fun UK audio stories that had no corresponding book to read along with. These were made just to be heard. And this is Transformers Menace at the Dam. If you guys just want to see what I'm streaming, and I'll just stream the, the audio, and then I'll just stop it every five minutes so we can provide some commentary. How's that? That works. Could you all hear that? Yep. All right, Charlie, could you hear that? I see she's got a mute button on, so I don't know if she's... Oh, wait a minute. Here I am. <laughs> Sorry, but I could not hear anything. I'm going live, so are you... Clicking on my live to watch me. Oh, okay. That way I'm just going to stream the the video. This is where we did. Okay. Mm -hmm. This way don't even bother trying to figure all this stuff out again. Yay. I don't want to spend 45 minutes accomplishing nothing. (laughs) Uh, Let me know if you hear this. You hear that? Yes. Okay, so now we're going to go. So you should all recognize this theme song. After hearing the last two of these. Nice. Don't talk because it it won't be recorded. It'll only be recorded once I hit pause. Oh. Actually, it'll still record. It's too hard to edit. Menace at the Dam. One item that dominated the thoughts and actions of the Transformers, Autobots and Decepticons, was the eternal search for new energy sources. Without the new energy, it would be impossible for them ever to return to their own planet, Cybertron. But their approach to this problem differed greatly. The Autobots recognized the possible resources on our planet and wished to utilize them, 
and at the same time donate any of their scientific findings to the inhabitants of this planet to be used for their benefit. The Autobots wish to return to Cybertron, leaving Earth a better place for their visit. On the other hand, the Decepticons were only interested in exploiting Earth's resources and did not care about the people here in any way at all. In fact, they were perfectly content to cause havoc and destruction as long as they, the Decepticons, could benefit. And so, even while the two robot races were searching Earth for energy, they also continued hostilities and continued the war between themselves. It was the Decepticons who first started to wonder if perhaps they could derive the energy they required from water. One of their patrols, under their air commander, Starscream, had been flying high over the Scranner range of mountains. There they had seen the great Stanley Lake perched high up in the peaks. They had noticed, too, that this great spread of water narrowed at one end, and there buildings were constructed, and a massive barrier had been built. Below this barrier, the land fell away deep into the valley below. Only a steady stream of water flowed from the lake through the barrier, forming a cascade shimmering in the sunlight as it sprayed downward. Starscream had reported all this to Megatron. Megatron called some of his principal aides around him. Has anyone any idea what this may be? he asked. Ravage answered, It's a hydroelectric power station. This somewhat surprised his fellow Decepticons, because Ravage generally remained aloof from the rest of them. What's a hydroelectric power station? inquired Skywalk. Someone tell him, Ravage said sarcastically. There was silence, and Megatron looked angry. He felt that Ravage was making a fool of him. You tell us, Ravage, he snapped. You seem to know all about it. Ravage said quietly, A hydroelectric power station generates electricity using the energy of falling water. The water turns a turbine connected to an alternator. It's a very simple method of creating power, which if you knew your history, you would remember we once used on Cybertron, way, way back in the mists of time when we were not much more advanced in scientific matters than these stupid Earth people are here now. Megatron said, Then if it is as outdated as all that, it won't be any use to us. Ravage replied, Probably not, but although it is old-fashioned, it is quite efficient. It sounds from Starscream's report as if this power station could have an output of some 10,000 megawatts. Might be worth investigating, Skywarp commented. We might be able to adapt it in some way. Megatron felt he was losing command of the situation a bit, and was anxious to assert his authority. In any case, I wish eventually to command all Earth resources, he said. I too now can vaguely remember reading something about these hydroelectric methods in Cybertron history books. At least we will go and look at the place. Ravage, Rumble, Skywarp, Starscream, Soundwave, come with me. Laserbeak and the others stay here at the fortress and keep guard. And so, the five Decepticons, under their ruthless leader, set off toward Stanley Lake. But their departure did not escape unnoticed. Having had recent experience of the Decepticons' cold-blooded behavior pattern, particularly towards the inhabitants of Earth, Optimus Prime had placed a secret 24-hour surveillance on the Decepticon headquarters. It was a perilous task, particularly because of the abilities of some of their adversaries. Soundwave's incredible hearing process and Ravage's craft in the darkness of the night, for example, ensured that any Autobot on surveillance duty had to take great care. Bumblebee, 
Cliff Jumper, Wind Charger, and Beachcomber had been the main team with the responsibility and had meticulously reported on all the Decepticons' comings and goings, not without some narrow escapes. Once, the crafty Laserbeak had passed within a few feet of Cliffjumper, and Beachcomber had very nearly been detected by Skywarp. Fortunately, Beachcomber had, by just staying completely immobile for a long time, fooled the Decepticon warrior, who was more famed for his cruelty than his intelligence. But it was Windcharger who had been on duty when Megatron had set off for Stanley Lake with his five fellow Decepticons. He reported to Optimus Prime immediately. So, that is, this is our intro to the story. Is it riveting for you right now, drawing you in? Oh my god, I was going to say, <laughs> this is so dry and so drawn out. Oh my god, this is the most bored I've ever been with Transformers. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this episode, the Decepticons investigate. What is the damn question mark? Oh my mark. goodness, man. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a grown-up, but... I kind of like the level of detail that this story has so far, but I'm, I'm kind of asking myself why at the same time. Why is the lake named? Why have they sent six commanders, like all their commanders? Yeah, to- I didn't understand that part. What commanders are they talking about? I guess all of the Decepticons, pretty much. <laughs> We're going to send them all to the same thing. So, yeah, yeah, they won't be around to bother us at all. They all went to investigate the hydroelectric dam all at once so yeah go figure yeah i also think it's funny that ravage talks in this yeah that that was the most ridiculous i'm like okay now ravage cassette if we're thinking of the same ravage cassette here yes. who's just he actually animal. has spoke before in <laughs> one of the storybooks we read previously before you joined they, so, they describe him as formerly of Louf, and then suddenly yeah. he's like arrogant and so intelligent that he's putting humans down. So I'm like, and he's get, letting right. Megatron lose control of the situation. Megatron even has to, you know, put his hand on his chin and pretend that he read these in school to appear smart. He's like, oh yes, I do recall reading this. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, he's totally just lying to try to to stay in charge. That was typical Megatron behavior, though. He's always insulted by someone sounding slightly smarter than he is. <laughs> yeah. It is funny, like, I thought Skywarp's voice sounded more like Starscream's normally would. But I also think it's funny that they're learning about a dam when the three-part miniseries cartoon, the second episode of that, I think, was them breaking into a dam and stealing the power from it. Like, they just, bam, go right in because they know it generates energy. Can you imagine if, the, if, it's, if it's like, this is a side story about how they knew to go to the dam. This is the Decepticons learning about the dam's function for 20 minutes. Wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> <laughs> this is their, their practice run for that episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if like, well, then again, this is the UK. So I wonder, or in, in Europe somewhere where these exclusive audio cassettes so I have no idea if the people over there had access to any of the early materials, like being a, like any of the materials, like the original scripts or the, for the three episodes and stuff like that. Or if they just had materials with the personalities and images and that's all they had to do to make a story. <laughs> They're like, here's 30 characters, their personalities, and here's their box art. Now go. <laughs> 
At first, I was like, Wind Charger. Oh, my God, Wind Charger's finally going to get to do something in a story. And then it's like, no, he's just reporting that he saw something and got away, and now he's gone. He's probably out of the story now. Oh, man, they're just using the weakest Transformers in this. <laughs> like, yeah, they're the just using so many. Like, and it was like all of them, like Wind Charger, Beachcomber, Cliffjumper. Oh, God. And yeah. Sideswipe. <laughs> What a team. <laughs> I can't remember if Beachcomber is that little figure you just got me. Oh, uh, that was, uh, who was that? Uh, that was a weird one. That was like mm-hmm. some kind of special, like support Transformer. <laughs> yeah, but I think it is him. Because I think Beachcomber is a season two Transformer, which is why we're hearing about him for the first time here. He's normally not with the others. I'm pretty sure... Yeah, no, that's not the figure. But yeah, maybe is he, did he not show up until, yeah, he doesn't show up till season two. So that's so weird. Every character here is from season one, except for Beachcomber. Anyway, let's continue and see what kind of investigation and detective skills the Decepticons get up to next. The Autobots leader's reaction was instantaneous. I don't like it, he said thoughtfully. I would like to know where those six rogues are going and why. Certainly they will be up to no good, whatever it is. What do you suggest we do? asked Sideswipe. I'd feel happier if we followed them and kept an eye on them. The leader answered thoughtfully. What do you think, Prowl? Prowl was the Autobot's military strategist. He always acted on the premise that logic was the ultimate weapon. Well, he stated, six of their leaders are going on this specific venture. That must certainly mean that the Decepticons won't be making any direct attacks on us while their commanders are absent. So we needn't worry too much about some of us leaving here. It also follows that Megatron does not think we know about their absence, because they know their fortress is more vulnerable to any attack from us when they are not there. Thus, we have a choice. Take advantage of their absence and attack the remaining Decepticons, or follow the six leaders and find out what they are up to. I favor the latter course. Optimus Prime replied, Right. That's the course we shall take. They obviously haven't got very far. Windcharger has given us their general direction. I'm sure we can pick up their trail without being spotted by them. Huffer, Windcharger, Sunstreaker, Sideswipe, and Jazz. Let's go. And so the six of them set off. Huffer had a little grumble. But then it would not have been Huffer if he had not groaned a bit. Meanwhile, the Decepticons made their way to the mountains, completely unaware that their arch enemies were following them. Guided by Starscream, they transformed and headed for the mountains, and were soon at the very edge of Stanley Lake. But it was now that the Autobots' close link with the Earth people came into effect. A number of physicists and people who realized the gravity and importance of the Transformers' presence on this planet were in continual radio contact with the Autobots, reporting any sightings or problems caused by the Decepticons. The great mass of the population had no idea of the lurking menace of the Decepticons. Those who did knew that the only hope for peace lay with the Autobots. They were also in constant contact with Optimus Prime in his race. The six Autobots had only just started off to follow the Decepticons when they received a radio message that the Decepticons had been sighted at the Scranner range of mountains. The Autobots headed as quickly as possible in that direction. Soon another radio call came through that the Decepticons had been sighted near the Great Dam at the Stanley Lake Hydroelectric Power Station. Jazz, with his deep knowledge of all matters relating to Earth, 
quickly outlined what this news indicated. They must believe the ancient method of making hydroelectric power can be of use to them, Jazz commented. And who knows, Optimus Prime rejoined. They may be right. Remember what Bumblebee always says, the least likely can be the most dangerous. How often back on Cybertron we used to find the old-fashioned simplistic method solved a contemporary problem. It was not long before the Autobots reached the shores of Stanley Lake, but the Decepticons had already made certain decisions. Megatron, fully in command, said, We will go into the buildings and make the stupid Earth people tell us just what the capabilities of this place are. Frankly, I cannot see that it will serve our purpose, but at least now we are here, we can investigate fully. Suddenly, they all heard a noise from just nearby, a sound like a high-powered motorbike. Every Decepticon turned, ready for action. Sounds like an Autobot, snapped Rumble. They can't know we are here, said Megatron. What is it, then? demanded Starscream. I can hear another sound, too, said Soundwave, whose hearing talent far surpassed the others. Then he called, Come out, you idiot! That's not funny! It dawned on Megatron first. It's Skywarp again, playing his foolish pranks. Then, very angry, he called, Skywarp! Come here this instant before you are disciplined in such a way that you will wish you were back on Cybertron. Skywarp came out from the nearby bushes. Just testing you all, just testing, he joked. Skywarp was the sneakiest of all the Decepticons. The stupid jokes he would play on his fellow Decepticons made him unpopular amongst all of them. Indeed, if it weren't for his incredible ability to travel at 1,500 miles per hour and teleport up to 2.5 miles and use his heat-seeking missiles, he would never have been tolerated. Don't forget to buy his toy. Don't you hear how awesome he is? <laughs> what are you guys thinking so far? I was just like, it said Megatron, fully command. I was like, is he, though? He just kind of said that he was losing it earlier. <laughs> Jazz has such a deep knowledge of Earth. I'm pretty sure that knowledge in his database is all about the best brands of stereo equipment and the location of all the Best Buy and Circuit Cities. <laughs> oh, my God. He's giving us the inside scoop on, uh, on Beta. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, there's a history about how a dam works on this Betamax tape I got. <laughs> and he's just got, like, a room that's full of Beta and VHS and it's like, nothing but videos. Now, I'm just imagining Optimus, like, having adventures with other kids and then giving him his telephone number after and be like, now remember, please tell all your friends that we Autobots are here and they should all keep a lookout for the Decepticons. And so it's just like this whole group of kids across the U.S. that he makes friends with that are part of his radio squad. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, whenever they talked about that, I was like, oh, God, continual radio contact with Autobots. I was like, just imagine a bunch of senior citizens on ham radios <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> like, a bunch of CB radio people, like, trying to communicate with the Autobots. <laughs> I just imagine him going to place to place, like, showing up at a trucker stop, transforming and going, hello, humans, I am Optimus. Let me tell you another fantastic story about Cybertron and why we're here and then why you should help us. And here's our radio, our CB radio so that you can keep us up to date on all Decepticon activities. Peace out. Transforms drives away. <laughs> oh, copy. What's Are that? Are you there? 
Over. Uh, Optimus. <laughs> I guess he talks to all the truckers, right? That's his um, mm -hmm. social network. <laughs> hey, that would be probably useful to them. They have to drive everywhere across the U.S. I mean, this was the 80s, too. You got to think. Mm -hmm. I just think it would be so hilarious if the next scene is the whole three-minute speech of a scientist explaining how a dam works so kids can learn science on this cassette. <laughs> oh. Thomas, how you holding up? You haven't fallen asleep yet, have you? I was going to say, you know, I think I'm not going to be surprised if they go into that much detail, considering what we've heard so far. Has okay. Guy Warp ever played a prank before, like in the series? Is he a prankster? Or not is this in the cartoon. This is in the storybooks. Oh, did they say about Skywarp? I thought they said about Starscream. No, it was Skywarp. Well, Skywarp, yeah. okay. Yeah. Skywarp was hiding in the bushes and making some sounds or something. <laughs> yeah, I think he's more of a prankster on his character bio, and that never actually became a character trait in the actual cartoon. It's the oh. same with Bumblebee, when Optimus is like, yes, Bumblebee is always fond of saying, inserts quote on action figure, unquote. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, this is what lets me know that they didn't have anything else to work with when trying to make these stories. They didn't know what the continuity of anything would be yet. They pretty much only had the figures, art, and personalities, and the backstory that someone had written so far, probably. So, let's continue. You do that once more, and you will wish the Autobots were here to save you, hissed Megatron. He was very, very angry. If I had been an Autobot, I could have destroyed half of you before you knew what was happening, sneered Skywarp. No one replied. They knew it was true. They had all been so intensely concentrating on the power station, they had dropped their guard. Megatron tried to hide his obvious annoyance. Come on, he snapped. Let's go! So the Decepticons headed toward the section housing the powerful turbines. The construction of Stanley Lake Hydroelectric Power Station had taken ten years. The huge, towering dam at the narrow end held back millions of gallons of lake water, which was released, when required, down into the valley below. It was considered a masterpiece of engineering. It was also an area of extreme beauty. The almost transparent water reflected the tall, proud trees along its bank. Wildlife abounded in a serene atmosphere of tranquility. But all this meant nothing to the Decepticons as they marched towards the buildings. Skywarp kicked in the door, and they all went into the main office. Three startled engineers stared with incredulous astonishment at the terrifying sight of the menacing robots. Before they could utter a word, Megatron snarled, Show us how this thing works! The eldest engineer, obviously in charge, stood up, frightened but courageous. Who are you? How dare you come in here like this? Throw him out, snapped Megatron. Rumble, throw him in the lake. Rumble, always anxious to please his leader, grabbed the man roughly and tossed him through the window. They all heard the splash as he went into the cold water. Megatron turned to the other engineers, now standing terrified and almost hypnotized by what was happening. Show us how this thing works, he snarled again. As if in a dream, the engineers led the Decepticons into the huge turbine rooms, and above the hum of machinery, answered the questions put to them. Meanwhile, the senior engineer had managed to swim to the far side of the lake, where he lay dazed and drying and warming himself under the bright mountain sun. 
He was puzzled, frightened, and apprehensive of the alien beings who had stormed into the power station. Who were they? What did they want? He had heard rumors during his last visit to the city that peculiar robots had been sighted in places like Oregon and Utah, but no one had taken the report seriously. He heard a slight sound behind him and turned and gasped. Oh, no! Robots! Not you again! What do you want? He turned pale with fear. But the robot which answered him had a less harsh voice than those he had encountered earlier. It was, in fact, Jazz who spoke. How do you mean, Earthman, again? We haven't met before. There's no need to be frightened. We shall not harm you. The engineer was both relieved and puzzled. He looked up at Jazz. About ten minutes ago, six robots in the power station, threatening, demanding to know how it works. I dared challenge them, and they tossed me into the lake like an unwanted cork. Optimus Prime stepped forward and said grimly, The Decepticons. Then, seeing the puzzled expression on the engineer's face, he explained who the Decepticons were, how they, the Autobots, were friendly to Earth, and why and how they came to be here at Stanley Lake. The engineer was, for the moment, relieved. Then, But what will they do, these enemies of your, yours and ours? They could do immense damage to the dam and my poor colleagues inside. What has happened to them? Optimus Prime spoke seriously. First of all, we have got to get the Decepticons into the open. Then we shall have to have some plan to drive them away from here. He turned to the engineer. Quickly, tell me about the power and energy available here. The engineer reported the required facts and figures. And then Optimus said, I cannot see that this form of power can help us in any way. And as soon as the Decepticons realize the same thing... Hoffer voiced the thoughts of them all. So what damage will they do when they realize they've come on a fruitless visit? Everyone was quiet. Then Optimus Prime turned to Prowl. What are your views? Prowl said, The Decepticons don't know we are here. When they do find out, they won't know how many of us there are. We know exactly which ones of them are here. These are plus factors. The minus factors are that Ravage, their saboteur, is there... And also that demolition punk, Rumble. They are sure to want to show off. So the damage they will do could be devastating. Our only chance is to draw them out and to join combat. Optimus Prime was grim. Right. Jazz, you stay with the Earth people in the power station while we take on the enemy outside. Jazz agreed to do this. And Optimus continued. When we have them outside, take this Earthman with you back into the buildings. Apart from protecting them all, you'll have a good view of the proceedings. Then Prowl said, We must try and ensure the battle takes place in the valley. There will be less likelihood of doing serious damage down there. Optimus agreed, and leaving Jazz with the engineer, they all went down the steep mountainside into the valley below. Once there, Optimus said quietly, Just one thing, Autobots. If I give the order to retreat, obey instantly. Instantly. I want that promise. You see, if we can get the Decepticons away... It will be safer for the Earth people. Oh, and if we do retreat, we will meet up there, up on that peak. And he pointed toward a nearby mountaintop. Right now, Sideswipe, fire some of your flares and let them know we are here. Sideswipe obeyed, and there was a bright flash which the Decepticons could not fail to miss. In the power station, the Decepticons looked at each other in astonishment. Autobots! screamed Megatron. That's a Sideswipe flare! 
He pointed down into the valley. Look, down there, five of them. How did they get there? Soundwave asked. Megatron turned to him. How do I know? But we shall attack them. Decepticons, outside of here and transform. We muster below and prepare for combat. And so, while the battle raged down below, Jazz went back into the power station to join the terrified engineers. The view from the top of the dam was terrifying and spectacular. Each race of Transformers using all their firepower, and at the same time, using their special defense mechanisms. No ordinary living creature would have lasted for one second. Only the Transformers, with their special features, could survive, and some of them were being hurt. Sideswipe had acted a little rashly and felt the power of Soundwave's blaster gun, and Optimus Prime had shaken Starscream with his artillery. But neither side seemed to be gaining, until, unexpectedly, Optimus Prime ordered the retreat. Within seconds, the Decepticons found themselves alone in the valley and stopped firing. They were pleased with themselves. Megatron spoke for them all. We may not have destroyed any of them, but we have hurt some and frightened them all. He looked with pride at his swaggering warriors. Then, suddenly, Soundwave shouted, What's that noise? And before any of them could move, a spectacular, spewing, flowing, gigantic wall of water hit them from above. So fierce was its power that every Decepticon was bowled over by it. Utterly helpless, they were swept along the bed of the valley, a clattering, scrambling team of robots now rendered completely powerless as they uselessly tried to escape from the roaring torrent. And as they were being swept away into the distance, Jazz and the engineers were celebrating above. Optimus and Jazz had made this provisional plan that if it was possible to maneuver the Decepticons into position and the Autobots could get out of the way, Jazz and the engineers would open the great sluice gates of the dam. But abruptly... Their celebration stopped. Ravage was standing in the doorway. Unlike the others, he had managed to avoid the torrent, and now with his sabotage equipment of two photon bombs, he stood menacing and threatening. Jazz dared not fire his own photon rifle for fear of causing catastrophic damage to the power station and those in it. He knew the craft and deadliness of Ravage, but he also knew Ravage's one weakness— to the utter astonishment of the engineers, Jazz turned on his dazzling, blinding, disorienting light show. Ravage stopped dead in his tracks, confused, temporarily sightless, his sensitivity to light completely impairing his faculties. Then the other Autobots joined Jazz and the engineers. Every one of them pointed their weapons at Ravage. Optimus Prime spoke menacingly. Ravage, if you don't leave this place now, you will be instantly destroyed. Six of us against you. Get out of here and back to your damp Decepticon friends. Then he shouted, Go! Now! So Ravage went, and, knowing he was defeated, slunk away back to the fortress. And while the engineers closed down the sluices, the Autobots decided the energy supply was not that which the Transformers required. But Jazz, all lights dimmed by now, gazed with admiration at the beauty of the Stanley Lake.
I just remember this on all the other cassettes. I like the music on it. Close enough for me. <laughs> Robots in disguise. I, I just realized there's no sound effects in this. It's just one guy talking the whole time. That does kind of make it boring. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what some of the early ones we listened to before had. They would actually have sound effects, uh, or they would actually put overlays over Soundwave's voice. This is just such a much more budget release than the other ones, and I'm pretty sure we've probably mentioned this in the other two cassettes we've done of these, because they've you, done... You mean of this particular series, or compared to other books, audiobooks? Yeah, because we listened to The Terror of Mount Sheila and Bumblebee to the Rescue previously in this series, and there's only one more left of this four-part UK uh, audio cassette series, which always sold two together, one on each side of the tape. Did these come with a book? No, these were clearly just for listening. Just, uh, just for listening. There's no associated book. It was, I guess, something to listen to, because, you know, 1985 is when these came out. That was when every kid had a Walkman, so they're yeah. hoping all the kids will go and buy this just to listen to. Yeah, I was just like, not much is really happening for me to stop and interject and just talk about anything. Uh, what do you think, Thomas? I mean, have you used up all your uh, your damn anecdotes in the previous episodes with the dams? I actually thought Optimus said, return to your damn friends. <laughs> <laughs> but he was actually saying damp as in your wet friends who are now soaked from the dam's water. Aww. It was kind of weird in the first place, too. It was like, why? Who cares if Ravage is standing in the doorway? Like, I mean, maybe if it was Ravage versus Bumblebee or something. Yeah. But like, come on, he's gonna intimidate Optimus or something. Yeah, I will give one positive though is that I do like how it has Jazz knowing Ravage's weakness, so he does all these lights on his thing to to weaken him. Eighty five percent of this is Decepticon planning, Autobot planning. Decepticon investigating. Autobot investigating. <laughs> 30 second fight. 30 second water defeat. The end. Well, there's a little ravage fight, but yeah. I was like, there was not much fighting in here. I was just like, you know what would make this more interesting? Is if one of the scientists fell on a generator, got struck by lightning, and just started getting electric powers, and then he would be like, thinking the Autobots were also enemies, and they'd have to fight him without hurting him. And I'm just like, because I was getting bored and trying to write my own story while I was listening to it. <laughs> they contradicted themselves. They, what was up with um, Peculiar Robots been sighted in Oregon and Utah? What? Did, were they just yeah. known locally after they've been in all that continual radio contact? I mean, what, <laughs> I thought people were in contact with the Autobots and I thought... You know, Optimus had a CB radio network and he held daily briefs for the local news station. Well, I guess maybe they're just extra local, you know, it's like, okay, we, we know about them in Lake Murray, but yeah, Lake Stanley, we, we haven't really heard about them yet. <laughs> I had to look up Lake Stanley, by the way, to see if that was a real lake. And it, it might be like it's, it's not. It's, 
There's only one Lake Stanley, and it's in Oklahoma. Um, yeah. Lake Stanley Draper. That could be it, though. It says reservoir, so it's probably just a. Yeah, I was looking for the dam, the too. Dam. <laughs> but my Google froze, and I was just like. But they made that one up for that area because it's supposed to be the Oregon area. I forgot this is supposed to be more robots in disguise, as in secret, because in the last audio cassette, the Decepticons wiped the minds of all the human slaves so that no one would remember the giant robots. They were just like, well, now we're still robots in disguise once more. The end. And I, don't, I don't know. It's been a while since I've listened to this. Did we listen to Bumblebee to the Rescue? Or am I thinking of the coloring book that's the same thing? Yeah, I feel like we did, but I can't remember. I do remember the Bumblebee to the Rescue story. Because we always, I always do two in a row, like two usually. So I would have thought we'd have listened to Bumblebee to the Rescue. That sounds very familiar. Like we've we know, already, we did something. I just remember, I can't remember how Bumblebee even rescued anyone. It seemed like... We, well, there was the Bumblebee to the Rescue coloring book, but it's also the name of one of these audio cassettes. And I'm pretty sure we listened to this one. I gotta find where all my old Barcast episodes are. Look at my old uh, PC on here, which I haven't backed up yet. There it is. Uh, what do I have here? 1 through 25? Oh, God, none of them are actually titled, so let me look through the pictures here. It's got to be somewhere in these pictures where I can see the Mount Sheila and all the other stuff, and oh, my God, how does a PNG take so long to load? There we go. Return to Cybertron. There it is, the Terror of Mount Sheila. Oh, no, this was our... Yeah, we listened to this... A long time ago. I don't know. Yeah, Charlie, I don't think you've listened to these. This is your first time listening to the UK one. I know we listened to some others, but I'd have to see again what. But these are the four in this audio cassette series. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't like it was so forgettable. I don't even remember what happened. It was something about a global. Oh, yeah, I think Bumblebee broke into the base and stole something that belonged to the Decepticons and brought it back. And that was his adventure. And no action was had by all. The end. No, I have no idea if that's what really happened. So what what do you think of this story, Charlie, overall? I'm trying to compare it to other like kids' audio stories. Um, it was a little dull and not too eventful. That ending was pretty classic. Okay, let's just let the water out of the dam. Is that safe? And <laughs> I mean that was pretty much the end of everything. Everybody's all wet. It reminds me of um this Scooby-Doo tape I used to have that it was it was called the Mystery of the Sticky Money. And at the end of the thing, they just poured syrup on the floor and the crook slipped down in it and everybody's all sticky and that was the end. <laughs> but that's what exactly what it reminds me of. But the rest of it just was not very exciting. There's no points of like suspense or anything like that. It was just a bunch of dull description, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And ASMR. I just, <laughs> and I just remember. I just yeah. I can't think right now. I guess my brain <laughs> is you know not not very accelerating, turning like a, a damn generator after listening to that story. Thomas, what are your thoughts on this story now as a whole? 
on Thomas, just open the sluices and like open the sluices of your mind and let yeah. it all out. <laughs> uh, nothing besides the whole that the ravage optimist thing that was pretty funny with how ridiculous that setup was. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just pretty basic and mostly boring in that first half. I remember at least in the last one, at least followed Bumblebee and tried to make him more of a character in it. This one didn't really have a main character, though it feels like Ravage and only Jazz at the end kind of shows up. Totally the main character. (laughs) Who is? I said Ravage was totally the main character for some reason. Yeah, more than halfway through, I'm like, are the Decepticons the main character in this story? Because then we see them at the dam doing all this stuff. I think they might actually get more screen time, you know, or listen time in this one. Bots didn't do all that much besides jazz. I mean, and then, yeah, otherwise it's like it was all Skywarp and uh, mostly Ravage. And yeah, there wasn't a lot of action in that. (laughs) I do think it's funny that they're about to find out that they can't get electricity from this dam to support their needs. <laughs> it's just like, usually it's like, haha, I've now taken this device and now I shall get enough energy to rule or destroy the world. And this time it's like, oh, we found something we cannot use. <laughs> so now we're really no threat at all to the Autobot. Diss themselves. They were like, um... Like Skywarp was saying, if he had been an Autobot, he would have annihilated all the Decepticons. <laughs> like, wow, um, yeah. that's self-defeating. I, you guys aren't good enough to beat the Autobots. <laughs> and, it, and Megatron doesn't even want to be there. He's yeah. just like, he's just like, whatever. The rest of my group thinks it'll work, so I might as well appease them because sometimes appeasing your minions is what helps you stay in power, not the fear and threat of death like I did towards Skywarp as I constantly do. So, uh, let's just get this over with, find out it doesn't work, so I can go back for whatever accounts for tea in our race and culture, back at the base. Tron just has seniority, you know. He's tenured. That's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's had enough. He's waiting for retirement. <laughs> uh, Thomas, any more final thoughts before we just go because we don't think we got anything else there's no more there's nothing more to ring out of this episode there isn't at all so signing out this is sean charlie and thomas good night sparkcast is a free podcast if you'd like to help out the show you can donate to the patreon for geek aid at g-e-e-k-a-d-e you can also check out my personal patreon at realms of flux r-e-a-l-m-s-o-f F-L-U-X.